Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week we continue our adventures with Peter and Wendy. I talk about an underwear company, and we do a quick recap on what is new on Disney+. Plus. Yes, this week we will read two brand new chapters of Peter and Wendy. There's only two more to go after this, so next week we'll actually finish the... Peter and Wendy book, and then after that, I don't know what we're gonna read, but I'm hoping I will figure that out soon. I talk about me undies, which you may have heard from every podcast in the world, and I'll let you know if they're any good or not. And then we also talk about a couple of things on Disney Plus. Uh, but first, here at the top of the episode, I wanted to say that if you enjoy the Going Up Cast and wish to support the Going Up Cast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can become a patron at any level and get access to the brand new Pokemon Nuzlocke run that I am doing, the second episode of which is up now. And there will be more episodes, hopefully just on a weekly basis. I've already recorded the third episode, I just need to edit it at some point. And uh, it's going well so far. Um, you also get access to the monthly live streams, and this monthly live stream will be... Oh, let's see. Uh, let's do it on the 16th of June. So it'll be next Tuesday. Yes. I'm gonna write that down. 16th of June. Live stream. We're gonna continue building the set in Minecraft to read books on the live streams. It's gonna be exciting. Hopefully I can actually make something, make some progress this time around. But yeah, go to patreon.com and you can access to all that exclusive stuff. Um, but also, you know, this week we have the Eldest chapters. I'm rapidly approaching the end of the recording of Eldest, which is very exciting for me. I've got the other two books right next to me and I'm hopeful that um, we will be able to crank those books out here pretty quickly and uh, be able to move on to another franchise here in a little while. But that's enough me blathering about. Let's get on to the rest of the podcast. If you've listened to podcasts as often as I have, then you are probably familiar with a company called MeUndies. Now, I just want to say, unlike every other podcast out there, I'm not currently sponsored by MeUndies. So, you know that what I'm about to tell you is an unbiased opinion about this particular company. So I had heard it a lot. I heard it hyped. They were like, this underwear is the best fucking pair of underwear I own. Y'all should get some. And I was like, all right, you convinced me. So I decided to sample some MeUndie wear. Yes, um, a couple, a couple of different pieces. I got the underwear, I got the socks, and I got a sweater. And I wanted to briefly talk about my experience with MeUndie. Number one, showed up on time. Good job. The the, the packaging was fine. <laughs> Nothing not interesting there. Now, I'll start with the underwear because it's called MeUndies. That's pretty important. The underwear is thinner than I am used to. Um, I'm guessing that's because the fabric is, uh, is of a finer quality than, say, cotton, which by its very nature would take up more space, you know? Um, for, for example, the cotton boxer briefs, of which I am partial to, tend to have a bit more going on in terms of the thickness of it. Um, and one thing I noticed when I uh, was wearing the MeUndies is that while they were soft in my hand, I didn't really detect that same softness in the zones of where the underwear make contact during practical use. 
And that got me wondering, like, am I ever consciously aware of my underwear? And the answer is only if it's a problem am I consciously aware of it. You know what I mean? It's like being aware of your teeth in your mouth. It doesn't really happen unless there's a problem. In which case, you're really aware of it. So, having super soft underwear when you don't really notice your normal underwear didn't really make much of a difference. They looked nice, and I appreciated how they wore on my body. So, that's all fine. And the design was good. So, they're very soft. They seem to be made out of a, of a, of a decent material. I have absolutely no idea to their longevity. That's only something that can come from weeks or months of wearing them. So, I'm not really sure on that front. So, overall, decent underwear. A little pricey for underwear. I feel like I could go out to Costco and get a four-pack of um, pretty decent underwear for around the same price as a single pair from MeUndies. But, you know, if you like the design um, and you're a fan of uh, snug underwear, I'll say, uh, then, you know, you could you could go the MeUndie wrap. The socks, um, design-wise, looked pretty cool. Uh, they had a nice plushy feel to them. Uh, and, I, and I got crew socks. So, you know, they like go up above my boots. And as I was pulling the sock up, um, while the top of the sock, like the collar of it, was definitely nice and stretchy, the stitching pattern of this particular style was not as flexible as I would have liked it to be. Therefore, I could not extend the sock all the way up my, my leg to like max sock height. Um, I think that's more due to my enormous calves than it is due to uh, a failing of the sock itself. But much like the underwear, the socks, you don't really ever think about it unless they're like super fluffy and plushy and then you can like wiggle your toes in it. Um, unfortunately, the socks were not super fluffy and plush. They were very comfortable socks and I enjoyed the way they looked. They didn't fit super great, but perhaps I got the sizing wrong. So that might just be me. Now, what I will say is that the sweater is a thing of beauty. It is super soft. It is super comfortable. I was kept at like a good temperature all day. It looked really good. Um, I loved the way it felt. I can't wait to get more of them. So they, they nailed it with the sweater. The underwear is pretty good. But then again, underwear, in my opinion, at least can only get so good. Does, do you, does it hurt you? No? That's a pretty good pair of underwear. Do you like the way it looks? Do you like the way it makes you look? Then you're fine. You did it. You found a good pair of underwear. Socks can get really, really good. There can be very amazing socks. I've had some like alpaca fur socks that just blew my goddamn mind. Um, and these are very good socks. They're, they're well made. They look good. Good socks. But that fucking sweater, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's a good sweater. That's a good sweater. MeUndies, you nailed it with the sweater. I want sweatpants made out of the material. I want more sweaters. So, that was a winner. Um, I imagine if their if their other clothing are, are made of a similar softness, then it's probably really good. Um, but I'm a big fan of that sweater. So that's what I'll say. Meandies, like primary product, decent. Socks, decent. Sweater, excellent. That's 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 what I'll say. Um, so yeah, you know what? If you're looking for like kind of fun underwear, especially if you're looking to like match with a significant other. Uh, I'd say this is a pretty goddamn good route to go. But if you're looking for some fucking new sweaters, you guys should go check out those sweaters in MeUndies because ain't nobody gonna tell you how amazing those sweaters are except for me. You got MeUndies for sweaters. You go to 
go to Ralph Lauren for underwear. I don't know, but get get one of them sweaters. That's real good stuff. Again, not sponsored. Maybe someday. Man, he's calling me. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Podcast? I'm not on podcast. Fuck it. Leave it in. Who cares? Chapter 15. Hook or me this time? Odd things happen to all of us on our way through life without our noticing for the time that they have happened. Thus, it takes an instant. We dis- uh, we suddenly discover that we have been deaf in one ear for we don't know how long, but say half an hour. Now such an experience had come that night to Peter. When we last saw him, he was stealing across the island with one finger his lips, his dagger at the ready. He had seen the crocodile pass without noticing anything peculiar about it, but by and by he remembered that it had not been ticking. First he thought this eerie, but soon he concluded rightly that the clock had run down. Without giving a thought to what might uh, be feeling uh, might be the feelings of a fellow creature thus abruptly deprived of its closest companion, Peter at once considered how he could turn the catastrophe to his own use, and if he decided to tick, so that wild beasts should believe he was the crocodile and let him pass unmolested. He ticked superbly, uh, but with one unforeseen result. The crocodile, among those who uh, heard the sound, and it followed him, though whether uh, with the purpose of regaining what it had lost, or merely as a friend under the belief that it was uh, once again ticking itself, will never be uh, certainly known, for like all slaves to a fixed idea, it was a stupid beast. My god. This book has some fucking phrasings in it, doesn't it? Like all slaves to a fixed idea, it was a stupid beast. Interesting. It's an interesting, interesting statement there. So uh, I guess he's he's saying that if if you hold fast to an ideal, regardless of anything, then you're you're ignorant. Interesting. Well, I guess that might be applicable to some things and not applicable to others like most things. Peter reached the shore without mishap and went straight on, his legs encountering the water as if quite unaware that they had entered a new element. And thus many animals pass from land to water, but no other human of whom I know. As he swam, he had but one thought. Hooker me this time. He had ticked so long that he now went on ticking without knowing he was doing it. Had he known, he would have stopped for board the brig by the help of his tick, though an ingenious idea had not occurred to him. On the contrary, um, he thought he had scaled her side as noiselessly as a mouse. He was amazed to see the pirates cowering from him with Hook in their midst um, as abject as if he had heard the crocodile. Um, also, there's an etching here of Peter being a sneaky little bastard. So, that's fine. A crocodile. No sooner did Peter remember it than he heard the ticking. At first, he thought the sound did not come from the crocodile. Uh, come from the crocodile and looked behind him swiftly. Then he realized he was doing it himself and in a flash he understood the situation. How clever of me, he thought at once. And he signed to the boys to not burst into applause. It was at this moment that Ed um, Tenet the quartermaster emerged from the forecastle and came along the deck. Now, reader, time what happened by your watch. Peter struck true and deep. John clapped his hand to the ill-fated pirate's mouth to stifle the dying groan. He fell forward. Four boys caught him to prevent the thud. Peter gave the signal and the carrion was cast overboard. There was a splash and silence. How long had it taken? One. Slightly began to count. None too soon. Peter, every inch of him on tiptoe, vanished into the cabinet for then... Uh, for more than page 217, one pirate was screwing up his courage to look around. They could hear each other's distressing breathing now, which showed that there, um, which showed them that the more terrible sound had passed. It's gone, Captain, said Smee, wiping his spectacles. All still again. Slowly, Hook had let his head emerge from his ref and listened so intently they could have caught the echo of the tick. It, there was not a sound. He drew himself up firmly to his full height. Then he is to Johnny Plank. He cried brazenly, halting the boys uh, more than ever be, uh, because they had seen him unbent. He broke into the villainous ditty. Yo, ho, ho. The frisky plank, you walks along it so. Till it goes down and you goes down to Davy Jones below. 
to terrorize the prisoners the more. Uh, though, with a certain loss of dignity, he danced along the imaginary plane, grimacing at them as he sang. And when he finished, he cried, Do you want a touch of the cat before you walk the plank? What? Touch of the cat? What, the cat nines? Um... That, yeah, that might be that might be what he's referring to, which is a whip. Is he gonna whip these boys? Holy shit! All right. Um, at that they fell to their knees. No, no, they cried so piteously that every pirate smiled. Fetch the cat, Jukes. Hook said, "It's in the cabin." The cabin. Peter was in the cabin. The children gazed at each other. Aye, aye. Jukes said blithely and strode in the cabin. They followed him uh, with their eyes. They scarcely knew that Hook had resumed his song. His dogs joining in with him. Yo ho, yo ho! The scratching cat. Its tails are nine, you know. And when they're writ upon your... It is. It's, it is a fucking cat nine. He was gonna whip... He was gonna whip these fucking kids with a cat of nine tails. Oh my god. If you don't know what that is, it is a multi-headed whip. Um, and it is fucking... Brutal. Absolutely brutal. It will just skin your back. Cat of nine tails. Yep, it is. Usually as hooks. Like, at, at the top of it, it is... It is nasty. Oh, man. God damn. Um, it's uh, commonly short as the cat is a type of multi-tailed whip that originated as an implement of severe physical punishment, notably in the Royal Navy and the British Army, and also as a judicial punishment in, the Brit in Britain and some other countries. Jesus Christ. Cat is made up of nine thought, uh, knotted thongs of cotton cord, about two and a half feet long, um, designed to lacerate the skin and cause intense pain. Tradition, if tra it traditionally had nine thongs as a result of the manner of which the rope is plated. Thinner ropes made from uh, three strands of yarn plated together and a thicker rope of strands of uh, three strands of the thinner rope plated together. To make the cat nine tails a rope is unraveled into three small ropes, each of which is unraveled again. And then you, you, you plate it up again and it makes just... Ah. Oh, God. It's bad. It's really bad. I can just... I can just feel the, the horrible pain of that what were the last line will never be known for of the for of a sudden the song was stayed by a dreadful screech from the cabin it wailed through the ship and died away uh then heard a crowing sound which was well understood by the boys but to the pirates it was almost uh, more eerie than the screech what was that cried hook two said slightly solemnly uh the italian CISO uh, hesitated for a moment page 219 and swung into the cabin he tottered out haggard what's the matter with bill jukes you dog hissed Hook, towering over him. Miles Willem is he's dead, stabbed, said Ciso, uh, replied in a hollow voice. Bill Jukes dead, cried the startled pirates. The cabin's as black as a pit, said Ciso, almost stupid. But there's something terrible in there. The thing you heard crowing. The exultation of the boys, the lowering look of the pirates, both were seen by Hook. Ciso, he said in his most steely voice, go back and fetch me that doodle-doo. I'm going to say that line again in, in the proper Hook voice. Hold on. Ciso, he said in his most steely voice, go back and fetch me out. That doodle do. Give me that doodle do. Cecil, the bravest of the brave, cowered before his captain, crying, No, no, but Hook was purring to his claw. Did you say you would go, Cecil? He said musingly. Cecil went, first flinging up his arm despairingly. There was no more singing, all listening now, and again came a death screech, and again the crow. Nobody spoke except slightly. Three, he said. Two twenty. Hook rallied his dogs with a gesture. Steth and Oddsfish, he thundered. Who is to bring me that doodle do? Wait till Cecil comes out, growled Starkey, and the others look, took up at the cry. I think I heard you volunteer, Starkey, Hook said, purring again. No, by thunder, Starkey said. My Hook thinks you did, said Hook, crossing to him. I wonder if it would not be advisable, Starkey, to humor the Hook. 
I'll swing before I go in there, replied Starkey doggedly. Then again, he had the support of the group. Is it mutiny? Asked Hook more pleasantly than ever. Starkey's ringleader. Captain Mercy, said Starkey, whimpered all of a tremble now. Shake hands, Starkey, Hook said, proffering his claw. Starkey looked around for help, but all deserted him. As he backed Hook's advance, and now the red spark was in his eye with a despairing scream the pirate leapt upon, Long Tom and precipitated himself into the sea. Four, said slightly. And now, Hook said curiously, did any other gentleman say mutiny? Seizing a lantern and raising his claw in a menacing gesture, I'll bring out that doodle-doo myself, he said, and he sped into the cabin. Five, how slightly long to say, he wet his lips to be ready, but Hook came staggering out without his lantern. Something blew out the light, he said a little unsteadily. Something, echoed Mullins. What if Cecil demanded the noodler? He's as dead as Jukes, said Hook shortly. His reluctance to return to the cabin impressed them all unfavorably, and the mutinous sounds again broke forth. All pirates are superstitious, and Cookson said, They do say the surest sign of ships accursed is when there's one on board more than can be accounted for. I've heard, said Mullins. He always boards pirates' crafts at last. Had a tail, um, how do you tell, Captain? They say, another, um, said another looking viciously at page 22, Hook. That when he comes, it's the likeness of the wickedest man aboard. How do you hook, Captain? Cookson um, said insolently. And after one another, they took up the cry. The ship's doomed! And the children could not resist raising a cheer. Hook had well nigh forgotten his prisoners, but as he spun around on them now, his face lit up again. Lads! He cried to his crew. There's a notion. Open the cabin door and drive them in. Let them fight the doodle-doo for their lives. If they kill him, we're so much the better. If he kills them, we are none the worse. For the last time, his dogs admired Hook and devoted, uh, they, devotedly, they did his bidding. The boys pretending to struggle were pushed into the cabin and the door was closed on them. Now listen, cried Hook. Uh, they all listened, but no one dared face the door. Yes, one, Wendy, who all this time had been bound to the mast, for it was neither a scream nor a crow as she was watching. It was for the reappearance of Peter. She had not long to wait. In the cabin, he, page 23, had found the thing for which he had gone searching, the key that would free the children from their manacles. Now they all stole forth, armed with such weapons as they could find. First signing uh, to them to hide, Peter cut Wendy's bonds, then said nothing, um, then, and then nothing could have been easier than for them all to fly off together, but one thing barred their way, an oath. Hooker me this time. So when he had freed Wendy, he whispered uh, to her to conceal herself with the others, and he himself took her place by the mast, her cloak around them, uh, so that he should pass for her. Then he took a great breath and crowed. To the pirates, it was a voice crying that all the boys lay slain in the cabin. They were panic-stricken. Hook tried to hearten them, but like dogs, uh, he had made them show him their fangs. He knew that if uh, he took his eyes off them now, they would leap at him. Lads, he said, ready to cajole or strike as need be, but never quailing for an instant. I've thought this out. There's a Jonah aboard. Aye, they snarled. A man with a hook. Page 224. No, lads. No, it's the girl. Never was luck on a pirate ship with the women on board. We'll right the ship when she's gone. Some of them remember that this had been a slaying of Flint. It's worth trying, they said daftly. Bring the girl overboard, cried Hook. They made a rush at the figure in the cloak. There's none save you now, Messy, Yulins hissed jeeringly. There's there's one, replied the figure. Um, who's that? Peter Pan, the Avenger, came the terrible answer, and as he spoke, Peter flung off his cloak. And they all knew that twas um that had been undoing them in the cabin, and twice Hook essayed to speech, and twice he failed. In that frightened moment, I think his fierce heart broke. Alas, he cried, Cleave him to the brisket, without, but without conviction. Down, boys, at them! Peter's voice ran out, and in another moment, the clash of arms resounded through the ship. 
how the pirates kept together, it was certain that they would, page 225, have won. But the onset came uh, when they were all unstrung and rather ran hither and thither, striking wildly, each thinking himself the last survivor of the crew. Man to man, they were the stronger, but they fought on the defensive only, which enabled the boys to hunt them in pairs and choose their quarry. Some of the miscreants leapt into the sea, others hid in dark recesses, where they uh, were to be found by Slightly, who did not fight, but ran about with a lantern, which flashed in their faces, so that they were half-blinded and fell easy praise to the reeking swords of the other boys. There was little sound to be heard but the clanging of weapons, the occasional screech and splash, the slightly monotonous counting. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I think all were gone when a group of savage boys surrounded Hook, who seemed to have a ch uh, charmed life as he kept them at bay in that circle of fire. They had done for his dogs. But this man alone seemed to be a match for them all. Again and again they closed upon him, and again and again he hewed a clear space. He had lifted up one boy with his hook and, page 226, was using him as a buckler. Jesus. When another, who had just passed his sword through Mullen, sprang into the fray. Um. Put up your swords, boys, cried the newcomer. This man is mine. Suddenly, Hook found himself face to face with Peter. The others drew back and formed a ring around them. And here is an etching of Hook fighting Peter. And Hook is like two and a half times taller than Peter is. So, I don't see how this is battle. Also, Hook is enormous, so that's fine. For long, the two enemies looked at each other, Hook shuddering slightly, and Peter with a strange smile on his face. So bad, Hook said at last. This is all your doing. Hi, James Hook, said the stone answer. It is all my doing. Proud and insolent youth, said Hook. Prepare to meet thy doom. Dark and sinister man, Hook answered. Have at thee. Without more words, they fell to, and for a space there was no advantage to either blade. Peter was a superb swordsman and parried with dazzling rapidity. Ever and anon, he followed up a feint with a lunge that got past his foe's defense, but a shorter reach stood him in ill stead, and he could not drive the steel home. Hook, scarcely inferior in his brilliancy, but not quite so nimble in wrist play, forced back by the weight of the onset, hoping suddenly to end all with a favorite thrust taught him long ago by barbecue at Rio, but to his astonishment, he found his thrust turned aside again and again, and then sought to close and give the quietest of his iron hook, uh, which all this time had been pawing at the air, but Peter never, uh, Peter doubled under it, and lunging fiercely, pierced him in the ribs. Outside of his own blood, whose peculiar color you'll remember was offensive to her, the sword fell from Hook's hand, and he was at Peter's mercy. Now, cried all the boys, but with a magnificent gesture, Peter invited his opponent to pick up a sword. Hook did so instantly, but with a tragic feeling that Peter was showing good for him. Hitherto, he had thought it was some fiend fighting, but his darker suspicion assailed him now. Pan! Who and what are thou? He cried huskily. I am youth. I am joy. Peter answered at Avenger. I am a little bird that has broken out of the egg. This, of course, was nonsense, but it was proof to the unhappy hook that Peter did not know in the least who or what he was, which was the very pinnacle of good form. Uh, do it again! He cried despairingly. He fought like a human flail. Every sweep of that terrible sword would have severed in twain any man or boy who obstructed it, but Peter fluttered around as if the very wind uh, made it blow, um, blew him out of the danger zone. And again and again, he darted in and pricked. Hook was fighting now without hope. That passionate breast no longer asked for life, but uh, for one boon it craved to see Peter in bad form before it was cold forever. Abandoning the fight, he rushed into the powder magazine and fired it. In two minutes, he cried, the ship will be blown to pieces. Now, now, he thought, true form will show. But Peter issued from the powdery magazine um, with a with the shell in his hand and calmly flung it overboard. What sort of form was Hook himself showing? Misguided man though he was, we may be glad without sympathizing with him that in the end it was he was true to the traditions of his race. The other boys were flying around him now, floating, uh, flouting, scornful, 
And as he staggered about the deck, striking up at them impotently, his mind was no longer uh, with them. It was slouching in the playing field so long ago, or being sent up for good, or watching the wall game from the famous wall. And his shoes were right, his waistcoat was right, his tie was right, and his socks were right. James Hook, thou not wholly unheroic figure, farewell. For we have come to his last moment. Seeing Peter slowly advance upon him through the air with a dagger poised, he sprang upon the bulwarks to cast himself into the sea. He did not know that the crocodile was waiting for him, for he purposely stopped the clock that uh, this knowledge might be spared him. A little mark uh, of respect from us at the end. He had one last triumph, which I think we need not grudge him. As he stood on the bulwark looking over his shoulder at Peter gliding through the air, he invited him with a gesture to use his foot. He made Peter kick instead of stab. At last, Hook had got the boon for which he had craved. Bad form, he cried jeeringly, and went content to the crocodile. Thus perished James Hook, as he was eaten alive by a giant crocodile. That's a fucking... That was intense. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. The chapter's not over yet, but that was, that was intense. Anyway. 17 slightly sang out, but he was not quite correct in his figures. 15 paid the penalty for the crimes of the night, but two reached the shore, Starkey, uh, to be captured by the indigenous peoples, who made him nurse for all their papooses, a melancholy calm down for pirates. And Smee, who henceforth wandered about the world with his spectacles, making a precarious living by saying he was the only man that James Hook had feared. Wendy, of course, had stood, had stood by taking no part in the fight, though watching Peter with the glistening eyes. Um... Uh, but now that it was all over, she became prominent again. She praised them equally and shuddered delightfully when Michael showed her the place where he had killed one. And then she took them into Hook's cabin and pointed to his watch, which was hanging on a nail. It said half past one. The lateness of the hour was almost the biggest of all things. Of things of all. She got them to bed in the pirate's bunks pretty quickly, you may be sure. All but Peter, who strutted up and down on deck, till at last he fell asleep by the side of the long tom. He had one of his dreams that night and cried in his sleep for a long time, and Wendy held him tight. Jesus Christ, this book's weird, man. This book's a weird one. Just a real quick thing that I've been thinking about, uh, tossed here in the middle of the podcast, is the importance of keeping your workspace or your living space clean and how that can influence your 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 being, you know? Like, um, I've been meaning to change the sheets on my bed uh, for a couple of days now, and it's it keeps like slipping away from me. And when I go to bed, knowing that I meant to change the sheets, it's like this little note in the back of my head where it's like this this bed isn't as like comfortable as I I've been meaning to make it, and it's a little twinge of disappointment just like in the back of my mind. And I'll look at like my carpet or something like that. And I'm like it needs to be vacuumed at least in in like my recording space. And I've been meaning to do that, that too. And these things have been weighing on me for the last couple of days. Um, and it's really important, in my opinion at least, uh, to stay on top of things like that. Because having those little moments of accomplishment throughout the day, um, every day, are, are crucial to like my, at least my mental health. And if I don't do it, or I forget to do it, or I remember and it's too late in the day to do it, then I feel like I've like let myself down and that can negatively impact how I'm going through the day. So I just wanted to do a little PSA to, you know, just tidy up once in a while. It doesn't have to be a lot, it doesn't have to be much, but maybe your desk is a little cluttered and you just clean some of those things away. Maybe your floor needs vacuuming and you just break that out and just do a couple of passes, 
you know? Just to freshen it up a little bit, maybe open a window, get some fresh air in there, just little things like that um, will do a world of difference to your mental health. And I very much intend to do just that here in like 30 seconds when I'm done with this bit in the podcast. You know, just a little transparency. I gotta clean my room is basically what I'm saying. So I'm gonna go do that. Let's move on to the next thing from the podcast. rapidly approaching the end of this book. I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to read next. Oh, God. You know, that's always the challenge. Like, when it comes to, like, non-public um, domain books, it's it's pretty easy because I've got two more books to read in the, uh, the Aragon line. But when it comes to public domain books, it's like there are literally thousands of books I could read and coming up with interesting ones. I don't know. It's always a challenge. Anyway, chapter 14, The Pirate Ship. One green light squinting over Kid's Creek, which is near the mouth of the Pirate River, marked with the brig, the Jolly Roger lay low in the water. A rackish-looking craft foul to the hull, every beam in her detestable like ground strewn with mangled feathers. She was the cannibal of the seas, and scarce needed that watchful eye, for she floated immune to the horror of her name, or in the horror of her, of her name. She was wrapped in the blanket of a night, though which no, through which no sound from her could have reached the shore. There was little sound and none agreeable save the whir of the ship's sewing machines, at which Smee sat, ever industrious and obliging, the essence of the commonplace. Pathetic Smee! I know not why, page 202. He was so infinitely pathetic, unless it were uh, because he was so pathetically unaware of it. But even strong men had to turn hastily from looking at him. And more than once summer on summer evenings, he had touched the fount of Hook's tears and made it flow. Of this, as of almost everything else, Smee was quite unconscious. A few of the pirates leant over the bulwarks drinking in the miasma of the night. Others sprawled by barrels over games of dice and cards, and the exhausted four who had carried the little house lay prone on the deck, where even in their sleep they rolled skillfully to their side, um, uh, to this side or that out of Hook's reach, lest he claw them mechanically in passing. Hook trod the deck and thought, Oh, man, unfathomable! It was his hour of triumph. Peter had been removed forever from his path, and all the other boys were on the brig about to walk the plank. It was his grimmest deed since the days he had been brought barbecue to heel. And knowing, as we do, how vain a tabernacle is, um, is man, how could we be surprised at how he now paced the deck unsteadily, belied, or bellied, out by the wind of his success? Man, that's, this is some fucking flowery language. After reading Aragon, where it's basically like, Hi, I've an Aragon. Shade Slayer, I've got a dragon. It's battle. Let's do it. And this one, it's just like, fucking, Oh, man, unfathomable. It was an hour of triumph. Page 203. But there was no elation in his gait, which kept pace with the action of his somber mind. Hook was profoundly dejected. He was often thus when communing with himself on board ship. In the quietitude of the night, it was because he was so terribly alone. This inscrutable man never felt more alone than he was surrounded by his dogs. They were socially so inferior to him. Hook was not his true name. To reveal who he really was would be, would um, even at this date set the country in a blaze. But as those who read between the lines must already have guessed, he had been a, um, he had been at a famous public school and in tradition still clung to him like garments with which indeed they are largely concerned. Thus it was offensive to him, even now, in, to board a ship in the same dress in which he grappled her, and he still adhered in his walk to the squirrel's distinguished slouch. But above all, he retained the passion for good form. Good form! 
however much he may be have degenerated, he still knew that this in um that this is all that really matters. From far within him, he heard a creaking as page two four of rusty portals. Um, and through them came a stern tap, 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 like a hammer in the night, which one cannot sleep. Have you been for, has your, um, have you been good form today? Was the eternal question. Fame, fame, that glittering bauble, it is mine, he cried. It is quite good form to be distinguished at anything, the tap, tap from his school replied. I am the only man whom barbecue feared, he urged. Flint himself feared barbecue. Barbecue Flint, what house? Came the cutting retort, most disquieting reflection of all. Was it not bad form to think about good form? His vitals uh, were tortured by his problems. He, he was a claw within. It was a claw within him, sharper than the iron one. As it tore him, the perspiration dripped down his tallow countenance and streaked his dublet. Oft times he drew his sleeve across his face, but there was no damning that trickle. Ah, envy not, Hook. There came to him a presentment from his early disillusion. It was as if Peter's terrible oath, page two hundred five, had boarded the ship. Hook felt gloomy desire to make his dying speech, lest presently there should be no time for it. Better for Hook, he cried, if I had less ambition. It was his darkest hour only as he referred to himself in third person. No little children love me. Strange that he should think this, which had never troubled him before. Perhaps the sewing machine had brought it to his mind. For long he muttered to himself, staring at Smee, who was hemming placidly, under the conviction that all children feared him. Feared him, feared Smee. There was not a child on board of the brig that night who did not already love him. He had said horrid things to them, hit them with the palm of his hand because they could not hit him with the fist, but they only clung to him more. Michael had tried on his spectacles to tell poor Smee that they thought, um, that they thought him lovable. Hook itched to do it, but it seemed too brutal. Instead, he revolved uh, the, this mystery in his mind. Why did they find Smee lovable? Page 206. He pursued the problem like a sleuth hound that um, he was. If Smee was lovable, what was it that made him something? The terrible answer suddenly presented himself. Good form. Had the bosun good form without knowing it, which is the best form of all. Probably. To be confident in oneself. Sure. He remembered that you have to prove, um, you have to prove you don't know you have it before you are eligible for pop. With a cry of rage, he raised his iron hand over Smee's head, but he did not tear. What arrested him was this reflection. To claw a man because he is good form. What would that be? Bad form! The unhappy Hook was so, uh, so impotent as he was damp, and he fell forward like a cut flower. His dogs, thinking him out of the way for a time, discipline instantly relaxed, and they broke into a Bacchalanian dance. Wow. Um, that is a, a Greek term. Um, Bacal, actually, Bacal, or um, Bacchanal, is the uh, is the term used for the Roman god of parties. Because, uh, you know, the Romans just renamed everything the Greeks did. Because they're a bunch of plagiarizing twats. Bacchanalian dance. Anyway. Which brought him to his feet at once. All traces of human weakness gone, as if a bucket of water had passed over him. Quiet, you scugs! He cried. I'll cast anchor on you! And once the din hushed, page to him, Are all the children chained so they cannot fly away? Aye, aye. Then hoist them up! The wretched prisoners were dragged from the hoist, all except Wendy, and ranged in line in front of him. For a time, he seemed unconscious of their presence. He lolled at his ease, humming it, not unmelodiously, snatches of a rude song, and fingering a pack of cards. Every and anon, ever and anon, the light of his cigar gave a touch of color to his face. Now then, bullies, he said briskly. Six of you walk the plank tonight, but I have room for two cabin boys. Which of you is it to be? Don't irritate him unnecessarily, had been Wendy's instructions in the hold. So Tootles stepped forward politely. Tootles hated the idea of si um, signing under such a man, but instinct told him that it would be prudent to lay the responsibility on an absent person. And so, a somewhat silly boy, he knew that mothers alone were always willing to buffer. All children knew this about their mothers, mothers, 
Page Joy, and despise them for it, but make constant use of it. So Toodles explained prudently, You see, sir, I don't think my mother would like me to be a pirate. Would your mother like you to be a pirate, Slightly? He winked at Slightly, who said mournfully, I don't think so, as if he wished things had been otherwise. Would you, your mother like you to be a pirate twin? I don't think so, said the first twin, and cleverer as the other. Nibs, would you? Stir this gab, roared Hook. The spokesmen were dragged back. You boy, he said, addressing John. You look as if you have a little pluck in you. Didst you ever want to be a pirate, me hearty? Now Hook had, or now John had sometimes experienced this hankering at maths prep, uh, and he was stuck by Hook picking him out. I, I once thought of calling myself Randy-Handed Jack, he said diffidently. And a good name, too. We'll call you that here bully if you join. What do you think, Michael? Asked John, page 209. What would you call, um, what would you call me if I joined, Michael demanded. Blackbeard Joe! Michael was naturally impressed. What do you think, John? He wanted John to decide, and John wanted him to decide. Shall we still be respectful subjects to the king? John inquired. Through Hook's teeth came the answer. You would have to swear down with the king. Perhaps John had not behaved we uh, very well so far, but he now shone. Then I refuse, he cried, banging the barrel in front of Hook. And I refuse, cried Michael. Rule Britannia, <laughs> squeaked Curly. The infuriated pirates buffeted them in the mouth, and Hook roared out, That seal is your doom. Bring up their mother, get the plank ready. They were only boys, and they went white as they saw Jukes and Ciso preparing the fatal plank. But they tried to look brave when Wendy was brought up. No words of mine can tell you how Wendy despised those pirates. To the boys, there were uh, at least some glamour in a pirate calling, but all that she saw was a ship that had not been scrubbed for years. There was not a porthole on the grimy glass of which you uh, could not have written with your finger. Dirty pig. She already written it on several, but as the boys gathered around her, she had no thought, of course, to save them. So, my beauty, said Hook, as if he spoke in syrup, you are to see your children walk the plank. Fine gentleman though he was, the intensity of his communings had soiled his raft. Suddenly he knew she was gazing at it. With a hasty gesture, he tried to hide it, but he was too late. Are they to die? Asked Wendy, and she, uh, with a look of such frightful contempt that he nearly fainted. They are, he snarled. Silence all, he called gloating, for a mother's last words to her children. At this moment, Wendy was grand. These, page 211, are my last words, dear boys, she said firmly. I feel that I have a message uh, uh, to you from your real mothers, and it is thus. We hope our sons will die like English gentlemen. Even the pirates were awed, and Tootie Toodles cried out hysterically, I'm going to do what my mother hopes. What are you to do, Nibs? What my mother hopes. What are you to do, twins? What my mother hopes, John? What you? Hook had found his voice again. Tie her up, he shouted. It was Smee who tied her to the mast. See here, honey, he whispered. I'll save you if you promise to be my mother, but not even for Smee would she make such a promise. I would almost rather have no children at all, she said disdainfully. It was sad to know that not a boy was looking at her as Smee tied her to the mast. All eyes were on the plank, the last little walk they were about to take. They were no longer able to hope that they would uh, they would walk, page 212. It manfully, for the capacity to think had gone from them. They could only stare and shiver. Hook smiled on them with his teeth closed, and he took a step towards Wendy. His intention uh, was to turn her face so that she should see her boys walking the plank one by one. But he never reached her. He never heard the cry of anguish he hoped to wring from her. He heard something else instead. It was the terrible tick tick of the crocodile. They all heard a pirate boy's Wendy's and immediately every head was blown in one direction. Not in the water once the sound proceeded but toward Hook. They all knew what was about to happen um, concerned him alone and that uh, from being actors they were suddenly becoming spectators. Very frightful it was to see the change that came over him. It was as if he had been clipped at every joint. He fell in a little heap. The sound came steadily nearer and in advance of it came this ghastly thought. The crocodile is about to board the ship. Even the iron claw hung inactive 
as if knowing that it was no intrinsic part of what attacking force it uh, wanted. Left so fearfully alone, any other man would have lain his eyes shut at where he fell, but the giant brain, gigantic brain of Hook was still working, and under its guidance, he crawled on his knees along the deck, as far from the sound as he could go. The pirate respectfully cleared a passage room, and it was only when he brought up against the bulwarks that he spoke. Hide me! He cried hoarsely. They gathered around him, all eyes averted from the thing that was coming aboard. They had no thought of fighting it. It was fate. Only when Hook was hidden from them did Curiosity loosen the limbs of the boys so they could rush to the ship's side to see the crocodile climbing it. They had got a strange surprise on those night nights, for it was no crocodile that was coming to, aid, to their aid. It was Peter. He signed to them not to give a vent, uh, uh, not to give vent to any cry of admiration that might rouse suspicion. Then he went on ticking. Oh, Peter, you fucking horrible monster. Peter is fucking tormenting. All right, whatever. Peter's a horrible little bastard. I'm just, I'm just calling out right now. I think, I think Peter is the, is the true villain of this story, but we'll discuss it at the end. Or we'll discuss it, well, I don't know. So, like, he took these kids from their homes, brought them here to where they forgot their previous lives, and basically put their lives in peril, like, every day. From pirates, from the indigenous peoples, from the mermaids, from the monsters of the night. Like, this place kind of sucks. It's a, it's a bad, it's a bad scene. I am so curious to watch, like, the movie again, like, the animated movie, and see, like, how they change it, because my memory of Peter Pan and the Disney movie is, like, sure, he's, like, a light-hearted scoundrel, you know? But he's not, like, a horrifying monster that he is in this book. Jesus Christ. So, I don't know, we'll find out, I guess. It's been a little bit since I talked about a couple of things that I've been watching. Um, mostly because I haven't really been watching a whole heck of a lot. It's been a busy couple of weeks. And I am simultaneously watching like nine different shows. And the problem with having so many choices nowadays is that when it comes to actually sitting down and watching something, I can't decide. And so I end up just playing video games or something like that. Anyway, I wanted to talk about uh, two things. Uh, one of them I'm just going to say really quickly. Um, mostly because this was a conversation I had with people like a really long time ago um, when I mentioned that the person or the company that owned um, one of my favorite things from when I was a child, Schoolhouse Rock, was Disney. And I claimed that it would only be a matter of time before they put Schoolhouse Rock on Disney+, Plus, and they finally have. You can watch all the original uh, fucking songs from Schoolhouse Rock on Disney+. Plus. I have no idea if it's aged well or if it's still relevant or anything. I have not watched any of them, but I imagine the songs that teach you how to multiply are probably still pretty on point, but that's now on Disney+. Plus. The other show I wanted to talk about was Be Our Chef, which has finished. Um, it's 11 episodes long. It's a cooking competition between six families, I want to say, um, and each episode is about a movie, um, and then they're set a task to base a dish, whether it's like an entree, a dessert, or whatever, on that movie. Um, and usually that movie required them to go into the parks themselves and meet a character from the movie to gain inspiration and eat some of the, the snacks and the, and the land related to the film and stuff like that. Um, if you're a Disney fan, I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, the only mark I'll say against the show is I'm not a super big fan of Angela Kinsley and she is the host of the show. I found her personality to be grating at times. Um, but apparently that's just kind of, just kind of her. She's just being herself. 
and you know I don't have anything against it is just not my favorite host I've ever seen on a cooking show I do enjoy the fact that the judges are Disney chefs from like restaurants and stuff like that I thought that was very cool and the fact that it wasn't a like a cash reward it was a seven night cruise on a Disney cruise line it was the was the prize of the show and uh, I thought that was that was pretty fun. So if you like Disney and you like cooking shows, I think you'll be you'll be happy with this. Um, I was constantly impressed by the quality of the food that these families were able to pump out. So good stuff there. And I hope they make a second season because I I very much enjoyed watching it. And I would recommend it if you've got like you know got some time to kill. It's a pretty it's a pretty uh, good Sunday afternoon show. As well, I like to label these the type of show where you're. You're, you're like on a couch and you've got a blanket and it's maybe like it's drizzling outside and you've got like a warm cup of something. It could be tea or whatever. And you're just watching something fairly mindless just to relax and have a, a like a nice evening. Um, this would be a really good Sunday afternoon show. Because, you know, it's, it's the end of your weekend and you've got work in the morning. So you want to like really enjoy the last remaining couple of peaceful hours you have and you get that blanket. It's not too heavy of a blanket. It's a nice thin blanket. Just covers like your legs, keeps you warm. You've got your your cup of tea, maybe a fireplace going if you're if you have one, and just a gentle drizzle. Oh, it's so good. Let me paint this word picture for you of relaxation as you watch Disney Plus stuff. It's pretty good. Also, I have tried Last Airbender's back on Netflix, and that is the bar of which I compare all shows to. Really, um, I'm like Avatar is kind of the my pinnacle. Of, of what a show can be. It told its story and it got out. It has incredible character development. It has a wonderful story. It's an incredibly rich world. It created a mythos that is believable like that. It, it doesn't even take a second for you to believe that these people can actually control the elements. It's it's so natural and ingrained in the show. It's, it is a masterpiece. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. I think that'll do it this week for the Going Up cast. I know it was a bit of a shorter episode this time, and the reason being, well, it's, you know, the world's busy, it didn't really do a whole lot, and there's only two chapters left of Peter Pan, and I was left with the decision of either making this an incredibly long episode, or splitting the four chapters into the next two episodes to make them a bit more reasonable. And I decided to go for the latter, especially because it's still no more fucking book I'm reading after Peter Pan. So hopefully this, this time will allow me to paw through the, the fucking bargain bin at Walmart to try to figure out what public domain book to read next. But I want to thank you all very much for listening, especially my Patreon supporters. Enjoy that brand new episode of the Pokemon Nuzlocke if you're a Patreon supporter. And if not, then enjoy this week's chapters of Eldest. And I will see you all next week for another brand new episode of the Going Upcast. Have a good one, everyone.